0: You ever been truly scared? Uh, Scared witless, maybe is the way to say it. Truly scared. Maybe you can recall a time in your childhood where you were truly scared. Maybe you look at it now and it was a bit irrational, but at the time, very real and very scary. Remember one time as a kid getting lost in the woods uh, out hunting. Uh, so that automatically tells you that wasn't here in Lubbock. Uh, it was at a different part of the country. And, uh, and even though I had my trusty, rusty, red rider BB gun, just in case some lion, bear, or tiger might jump out and try to assault, uh, the fact is I can, st- I can still distinctly remember, and maybe you can relate to this earlier in your life at a, at a time like that, where I didn't know which way to go, I didn't know which way would lead to an opening, I didn't know which way, obviously, therefore, which way led home, and, uh, and I just remember thinking, where do I go, which way do we, do I turn? Now, I can say to you that many years have passed since that time, I think I was about nine years old, I know it was a different day and time, nine-year-olds could go hunting in the woods all by themselves, and, and it was a different day, but, uh, Since then, I can recall times as an adult where that same old familiar feeling comes back. Maybe you can relate to that. If you think about it for a moment, the death of a loved one that you've been close to, that you've looked up to, that you've cared for your whole life, maybe a mom, a dad, maybe a mentor, where you realize that that person is not here anymore. I don't know where to go. Well, there's other kind of things that happen to us in life that are very much similar to that, that brings back the old feeling that we're alone and we're lost as compared to saved and united. I want us to think about these words this morning, just together for a minute, alone and lost, saved and united. And we'll be looking in the book of Matthew, so I would really encourage you to turn with me to that text, the book of Matthew together. If you don't have your Bible, there's one that's located there in the front of the pew for you, or in the pew in front of you. And, uh, and we really encourage you to use that uh, as we go through our study together today. After all, really, it's what the Bible says that matters, isn't it? What else matters except for truth? Well, I say good morning to everybody this morning, and uh, you're aware uh, probably already that last Friday through today is a weekend that is a Christian religious holiday weekend uh, where the world stops to pause and celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection the world over. One of the few holidays that is a world holiday, uh, whatever country you live in. And it introduces the opportunity for us to address the topic of the resurrection together And some of the implications of the resurrection that we may not always think about uh, when the world gets together to rejoice over uh, something that is biblical, it oftentimes is just a little bit tainted from what the scriptures actually prefer and would have us to know. And so we'll look at this from a biblical perspective together this morning for just a minute. And I appreciate your attention in doing that. If you are here for that reason this morning, that you make it a habit to attend worship uh, during holidays like this, you're to be commended for that. I don't ever think it's a bad thing do you that God's uh, people, but not only God's people, but the world would recognize something about God. It never used to be that way but it is in our day and uh, and it will take anything we can get with regard to those who would honor and revere God even if it's a worldly holiday and celebrated in a worldly way after having said all of that I'd like for you to consider this today is the only holiday Christians are actually commanded in the Bible to keep did you know that it is the only holiday that we are commanded to keep. And we assemble together in worship on God's day to keep the holiday that God has set aside for us. And that happens once a week. We celebrate both his death and his resurrection every single time the first day of the week rolls around. And you know what else? That the New Testament Christians did that very thing. Well, that's why we do it. We're patterning ourselves after that New Testament church. So as we read them doing in the New Testament, so we do still today in this in this body of God's people. And we do that according to what the scriptures teach. So all the things that we've been doing this morning, if you're new to this, then understand it's all something that comes from the scriptures. And we do this once a week. So here's my admonition. If you're not used to attending services once a week, I would love to see you do that. You know why? Because once a week we get to celebrate the death and the resurrection of God Almighty through Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. Starts our week off correctly and it makes us more centered as God's people uh, when we are participants in that. So we invite you to be part of all this this morning uh, and uh, every opportunity that you have to, uh, to be here with us. Uh, because this thing that we do today, it's a life-changing thing. It patterns the rest of the week when we do it right. When we celebrate the way Jesus would have us to and the way God designed for us to over what God has done through us through, uh, through Jesus Christ, then that, that makes a difference in our week. And so we're happy to welcome everybody here this morning. Glad that you're here. And we have several who are out of town. We got a lot of who are, who are coming from other places. Uh, and, uh, and we'd invite you to be back this evening if you're able to do so at 5 o'clock this evening. We'll continue our day of worship together at 5 o'clock. So in Matthew chapter sixteen, Matthew chapter sixteen, that's page number seven uh, nine seventy six. If you're using that pew Bible there in front of you, if you're not, uh, then uh, Matthew chapter sixteen is where you want to locate this morning. So, have you had those feelings of fear, like we talked about? Those feelings of anxieties are those uh, are those things that are realities for you uh, at various points in your in your life. Uh, It is the impression that we get from our reading from the scriptures about the way the apostles must have been feeling or the disciples must have been feeling when it came to the death of Jesus Christ. Think about that for just a moment. For three years, these disciples had their self-imposed hopes built up about the things that Jesus was teaching to them. Uh, and from that, what we re- what we come to learn is they had their own ideas when they heard what Jesus said, their own ideas about what that meant. Uh, for example, when they heard Jesus as king, they thought of a literal, physical king. They would each uh, be in his inner circle and they, they would align themselves along with him and as they did that they would be able to see him rule and be part of that ruling over the physical city of Jerusalem and Canaan uh, and it would be all from the throne of David at his side. They would overthrow the Romans who, would, who were merciless in their ruling of them. Israel would again be the glorious nation that it once was in the days of David or Solomon where they were highly respected and revered among other parts all around the world they were willing to do whatever it would take to bring all of this to pass as they viewed it in their own sight Luke chapter 18 verse 26 you might remember that Jesus uh, says but you have to give up in order to take hold of the kingdom. And it was Peter who, upon Jesus uh, speaking about that, says, we have left everything and followed you. And it's true, they had left their possessions, they had left their homes, they had left their businesses, uh, they had even left their families for a time. But now nothing seems to make sense in these men's lives and these women's lives. It all seems to come crashing down around them, especially with regard to those who would be the apostles and what they thought they knew about the things that Jesus had been teaching them. As they become witnesses, not of Jesus' greatness and kingship, but rather of the horrific events, which all seem to signify absolute and utter defeat. What were they to conclude with the things that we know about? that took place during the period of the trials and the death of Christ. The arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, all of them fled. None of them stayed to face the accusers with Jesus Christ. They left him alone. The mocking in the trials before the Jewish officials and Pilate, the verbal and the physical abuse, the robe, the crown of thorns, the the brutal scourging, that took place Jesus arduous trek through the city of Jerusalem to the site of his execution and they heard the sound of the hammers hitting the nail heads the spikes that were driven past or through the wrist of Jesus sinking securely into the beam of the cross they had been witnesses to Jesus' last words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from Psalm chapter 22. And finally, the finality, it is finished before dropping his head and slumping down into death. And they had seen the soldier with the spear thrust it into. The upper side of Jesus puncturing the lining of the heart and out comes water and blood mixed together, physically verifying death had occurred. Was it all a testimony to defeat all of this or a prediction of something better? I have to believe that the quickness of it all and the unfolding of these events in such Rapid pace kind of threw them off track, wouldn't it? You and I, I think we would be thrown off track by it, and it left them feeling lost and fearful. Worst of all, it left them forgetful. It's not as though Jesus had told them, uh, had not told them what was coming. He, he obviously did. Over in Matthew chapter 16, you're there in the book of Matthew, so let's look together. We'll just skim down from 16 to 20 together just briefly uh, for this point this morning. Matthew 16 verse 21, Jesus uh, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and the third day be raised. You might remember Peter pulls him aside and he says, Lord, these things will never be because Jesus apparently didn't know what he was talking about. It's the time when Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan, because there was more for the Lord to do. They didn't want to hear that prediction. And so they didn't hear that prediction. Over in chapter 17, jump down to chapter 17, look with me in verse 22 of the text. Matthew 17, verse 22, Jesus said to them that he was about to be delivered up in the hands of men, and they would kill him, and he would be raised on the third day. Was it a hope-filled statement of assurance? Not to them. They were greatly, the text says, distressed all they were thinking of was the loss of it all. What Jesus was emphasizing was not just that feeling of lost, but the feeling of saved. He would be raised the third day. Same book down in chapter 20. Matthew 20, verse 17. This is the last week before the Predictions would come to pass that Jesus has already made twice in this one book. It doesn't include the other gospels where he's made it a time or two that Matthew doesn't record. But in Matthew chapter 20 verse 17, the last week before all of this takes place, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem and he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be, now look at this, delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will uh, condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, uh, crucified, and he will be raised the third day. You cannot get more specific, I don't think, than that. He tells one step after the next the things that would take place before They actually take place but what are the disciples doing are they hearing these words you go on to look in that text and if you if you have the text open to there you uh, to that uh, passage you'll notice uh, the next thing they do is argue about who's the greatest in the kingdom who would be where in the kingdom Now, after having looked at the way the disciples, the apostles, are handling this information, let's take a look at the enemies. These statements that we've read from Jesus to his disciples must have circulated some because here we learn the enemies had not forgotten what Jesus prophesied. They're fully aware of it. To know the context of this, though, let us uh, let us jump to chapter twenty-seven. Uh, and as you're turning over there, I'll just remind you that there were a couple of Pharisees who had come to believe in Jesus during his time of ministering or work, his preaching and teaching. And these two men were Joseph, who came from an area called Arimathea, and Nicodemus. They no doubt. Are great in their current government with regard to authority. They receive special permission from the Roman government to take down the body of Jesus from the cross and and give a proper burial to Jesus. So, in chapter twenty-seven, verse fifty-nine of the text, he says, uh, "We read how Joseph took the body and he wrapped it in linen cloth." He laid Jesus' body in the tomb. He rolled a great stone in front of the entrance and he went away, the text says. Look down at verse 62 of this text. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, that would be our day of Saturday, Saturday, uh, the, uh, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and they said, sir, we remember how this imposter said While he was still alive, after three days, I will raise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last deception will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make it secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guards. Ladies and gentlemen, wouldn't it be a sad account if that was the end of the message from the Gospels? I mean, if that were it, you might still find reason to want to worship Jesus, but I have to say this your confidence in doing so would be shot. How do you know what happened on the cross? What proof do you have that what Jesus said he would do, he did if it were not for the resurrection? There's verification in the resurrection. We have to believe that if Jesus can raise from the dead, he can forgive sins on the cross. Certainly there would be no need for us to be here today worshiping Jesus when he made the point that he would raise the third day. If he didn't raise the third day, then what are we doing here? It would just be a defeat in death, wouldn't it? There would be no celebration. There would be no confidence in the the future afterlife at all without the resurrection. Now, maybe you don't think of the resurrection that way. And I'd like to challenge you to put the importance of the resurrection where it belongs in your life and mine. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ, if in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. And that, ladies and gentlemen, it is concisely how the Pharisees hoped this would all happen turn out that was their plan Paul would later die preaching what he says in verse 20 but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead willing to die for that message he's become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep I'd like for us to read about that as we begin to wrap up thoughts this morning and make a little bit of application together after briefly looking at the at the storyline to do this let's turn over to matthew chapter 28 so we're continuing to move through the book of matthew here matthew chapter 28 come to the last chapter of the book verse 1 Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up. And they took hold of, him, of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus then goes on to tell them what the angel has already told them. And that is, go tell the other disciples that he had risen. Verse 11. While they were going, behold. Now, a, this is after the fear uh, of these fainting soldiers. Uh, they had kind of partially recovered to some degree Uh, and so behold some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place have you ever stopped to wonder what the other part of the guard must have done part of the guard went to tell the chief priests but that's that wasn't all of them I just wonder maybe they were looking for the disciples Maybe it struck them differently than it did these others who went directly to the chief priests. Verse 12, and they did, uh, and when they had assembled uh, with the elders and took counsel, they gave them a sufficient sum of money to the, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Have you ever considered the fact that it was not the friendlies who Jesus first appeared to? It wasn't his disciples, it wasn't even the women that are there at the tomb, but rather it was the guard, apparently these guards maybe some of the same who had spat on him or beat him or mocked him the Friday night before this occurrence and yet what is their final response to Jesus' resurrection it amazes me ladies and gentlemen that they take a bribe and they lie I mean really think on that for a moment is that not amazing to you is that what you would have done Take a bribe and lie. When you were just a a little while ago so freaked out and scared that you literally fainted, fell out. You know, all your armor and stuff goes everywhere, right? Grown men, hardened and trained, battle-ready soldiers fainting out of fear. And yet they're still willing to take a bribe and lie. Isn't it amazing the extremes people go to when confronted with truth that they don't want to deal with? These men were willing to forsake truth of what took place. Phenomenal! For money. Some still today forsake a right Response to the truth of God and his word for money. Others do it for friendship. Others do it for family. Others do it for pride and prestige. Some do it because they just want their own time and worshiping God interferes. And so they sell off truth for something so worthless in comparison. I mean, here we are today we're reading of these men who took money and told a lie. And I'd like you to consider for just a moment, where are they now? They've been dead and gone for a long time and there's nothing of their remembrance except what we read right here in this text. Was it really worth the lie? Wouldn't we rather have read here in this text, they refused And they stood fast with the disciples. What a great thing that would have been, but no. Where is all the money that they were willing to forsake the truth for? I mean, shouldn't all this have meant more to them than what they were, how they were responding? I say to you, my friends, it is wise to consider the long-term effects of our decisions before we make them. That certainly is true with regard to the matter of truth from God. Our legacy is not built upon the things that decay or rust or are spent off in this world, but in a willingness to change our direction based upon truth and conviction of that truth. And that's what the resurrection should have meant for them. Should have changed everything about their life. But instead, the guards sold off what should have been a life-changing event. What about the reaction of the majority of the religious leaders to the news that the guards brought? You notice that they don't say, "Ah, oh, this is impossible, it can't be. You notice they don't say that. Instead, they say, here, here's some money. Tell the people the disciples came by night and stole away the body while you were sleeping. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I am no lawyer, I don't claim to be, but isn't it the very thing that they had gone to Pilate and asked Pilate to give them the guard to prevent? That they would, they would say, uh, you know, look, uh, he hasn't really risen from the dead, the disciples came and stole him away, and the first would be a worse deception than the last, or the last would be worse than the first. I mean, isn't that the very argument that they're now paying these men to propagate? The disciples stole the body. And by the way, if they were sleeping when they supposedly, the disciples supposedly stole the body, then how did they know it was the disciples exactly? I mean, you don't have to be an investigative genius to ask these kinds of questions, even still today. It further confirms the truth. There's a little bit more that you can read about some of those uh, questions and answers in today's Christians, Mo- uh, Christians in Motion bullet. I think it's on page three or four. But anyway, what we learn in all this is, is simply this. Just like then, in the face of evidence and truth, some are still just going to do what they have always done with the truth. And I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, that is a deadly combination for you and I. To just simply take what is said and never think of it. Shrug the shoulders. Just let it go in one ear and out the other ear. They refused. They refused to be thoughtful of the information coming to them. They hardened their heart for sake of position. They rejected the implications that it meant a change of lifestyle for them. They would have to stop practicing religion the way that they had been. Where it just didn't mean that much except for their own personal gain. Both the soldiers and the leaders in this private meeting that we just read about, between them and the soldiers, were just too greedy and dishonest to allow change into their life. I wonder, ladies and gentlemen, how many of us today fall into that category? I like to think that we're in the third category, which you're already ahead of me. I know that you already know where we're going with the third category, and that has to do with the disciples. The only ones who will be receptive, ladies and gentlemen, are those with an honest and good heart to the things that God says. That's still true even today. This kind of person will embrace the truth, its implications. It is those who just couldn't go away unchanged that we read of next. The evidence is just too overwhelming. It's too impactful. Starting with the the women to whom Jesus first appeared, the Christians began to highlight from that time forth Christians began to highlight the full implications of what the resurrection was all about a proof it was about a proof Not very long after these events, Peter and the other disciples deliver a statement that we read in Acts chapter 2, which we may not even realize. If you've read that text before, you may not even realize. The whole fundamental basis upon which this argument is made in Acts chapter 2 is the resurrection of Jesus. I know we emphasize certain things out of texts, nothing wrong with that. But I want you to see how this is the case. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 of the text. you You remember that Peter and the rest of the apostles are there before this great crowd of people after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and a foreknowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men verse 24 God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by the by it verse 32 says again this Jesus God raised up and of that We are all witnesses. And I'd like for you just to notice, nowhere in the text do we find these people saying, we have no idea what you're talking about. Who is this Jesus? What is this death? What is this resurrection thing? We don't even know what you're talking about in all of this. All of them knew what Peter was talking about. I want you to look down at verse 37 of the text. When they heard this, this is the response. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? You know what? Innocent people don't respond like that. The truth was changing their hearts. The impact Of what had taken place was becoming a reality in their personal life and living. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection proves Christ's deity. According to what Peter is teaching. The resurrection proves that we can believe and confidently act on the implications of all of this. Paul would go on to teach that it proves Jesus has the power over life, death, the resurrection, and a judgment to come. Over in Acts chapter 17, Paul stands before a council of people in Athens and he, he says God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, look at that, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. We're crazy if we don't think the death of Jesus and what happened there is verified by his resurrection. Absolutely proved is what Paul is teaching. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but some joined him and believed. Paul, like Peter, is linking the resurrection uh, to future assurance. Still today, these two categories of people exist, don't they? Those who would go away unchanged and those who have exactly the opposite experience it changes everything it changes everything I ask you are you as one of the soldiers today who knew the truth but were more interested in temporary satisfaction to make a change in life were you, are you as one of the Jewish authorities unwilling to accept what you know because it just, it just doesn't correlate with the change that would need to be taking place in your life Or are you more like the others who believed and they allowed the truth to change their life permanently? In fact, not just their life, their eternal destiny was changed because of this belief in Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Christ, it really is the bedrock of Christianity. It's the foundation of our faith. It proves what we say we believe. Without it, we would have no confidence in anything that we believe about Jesus Christ the assurance of salvation it's what causes us to consider redeeming our time in Christ knowing that there is a resurrection and a judgment to come in our future that's another thing that's proved by the resurrection when Jesus said he would come the second time in judgment we can believe it why? because if you can raise from the dead you can do anything it verifies everything Jesus taught and said It verifies the scriptures to be true. Paul proclaims in 1 Corinthians 15 and at verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that victory is proved not by his death, but by his resurrection he arose and the stone was rolled away not so that Jesus could walk out of it ladies and gentlemen those kind of things presented him no problems it was so that we could see in even all these years later from the very beginning Jesus' death was God's plan for our redemption and that resurrection would prove that to be the case so it is with the resurrection of the dead what is sown is perishable what is raised is imperishable It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of the dust. Look at those words, ladies and gentlemen. We shall also bear the image of the one from heaven. What a future that is when we talk about a resurrection. If you've not experienced the reason... For the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, you can do that today. In fact, the apostle also teaches that there is a burial and resurrection in water that will start us on the right path to, to the eternal resurrection we just read of in 1 Corinthians. Over in Romans 6 verses 3 and 4, he makes that point. There is a burial and a resurrection that will take place. And through that, The Lord will wash away sin. We can be the person who goes from lost and alone to the person who goes to united and saved. If you're ready to experience the implications that we've been talking about this morning, but you've not taken advantage of that, can I just really push you to do that this morning? If you're already a child of God, on the other hand, and you've not been considering the implications of the resurrection, I wish wish you would spend some time seriously thinking on that further. If it is that you have a need this morning, why don't you take care of that? Let us help you in doing that by coming forward while together we stand and as we sing.